Hey everybody, Craig from the University of Applied Research and Development and great to have you with us and we've got the privilege today of having Joe Hillis who's the Operations Director at the Information Technology Disaster Resource Centre. Hey Joe, good to see you. Good to see you as well, thanks for the opportunity. Oh, I'm excited because I was looking at the website which I'm just actually going to bring up and share right now um, the website for your centre because uh, it'd be great for people to have a look at it and understand some of the things that you do. And so there's a great amount of information on here, um, some of the operations that you guys do, how to partner with you as well. And um, I just think it's a, a great thing that you do. So Joe, why don't you tell us how you became interested in emergency management and a bit of your career and experiences to date? Long, long career, long story, um, jumped into, uh, actually started in EMS, um, you know, back a long time ago, and uh, that eventually led to the fire service. So I had a, enjoyed a long career, uh, about 24 years in the fire service. And, um, you know, part of that um, was having the ability to work on my days off. And that's how I kind of got involved with technology. So I, mm. uh, you know, happened to become the resident tech guy um, for the city and, you know, was helping, you know, the police department pull the reports for their crime reporting and helping, you know, implement our first CAD system for the fire department um, and the radios and the other thing with that. But somewhere along the way, I think I feel like I kind of got voluntold to help develop the city's emergency plan. And uh, me being a tech guy, I uh, reached out to our state emergency management agency and back then they graciously sent me a emergency plan on a floppy disk and I knew how to use search and replace so I um, you know wrote my first emergency plan in about 15 minutes um, which is really not true and I mean it's, it's it's sort of true I guess but that was kind of my um, I was a shift commander at the fire department and knowing that pretty much anything that happened in that city was going to rest on my shoulders um, I really did want to understand more mm. about how to be prepared for that. So yeah. I wanted to know the, you know, I wanted to know the manager's cell phone number or telephone number after hours, you know, for the local lumber store in case we needed to get shoring for something, um, you know, understanding, having those relationships with our Red Cross and things like that. So that was kind of my introduction to it. And um you know, I, I guess subsequently, you know, had the opportunity to learn more in the space and then the exercises started. And that's when I realized that plan was no good. It was just words on paper. Um, and that, you know, it, until I tested that plan and I had some failures in there, you know, that that was it. So that's the long and the short, you know, of how I got involved with emergency management. And um, so it, it obviously doing tech as well, you know, this was kind of a, we're going to call it a retirement gig, uh, was to be able to take my, uh, you know, I, my adrenaline background and match that with my tech skill set and then mm. try to use that for good. Um, and so anyway, that's here I am today. That's a great summary. And search and replace is, is a very powerful tool <laughs> to get stuff done. Um, you mentioned that, you know, once you started to get involved in the exercises you realized that the plan maybe needed some modification can you give us some of some of those examples because i think emergency managers often find this planning is fantastic and then there's reality yeah i, I mean i think from you know when you're certainly when you're in in smaller even in any area you're competing for the same resources right depending on what the event is you may be competing with your neighboring cities departments for the same resources so if a tornado comes through 
um, and, and it's a long track. I mean, whatever that is, I don't know if you have those over there, but, um, you know, here it could, you know, it could be 26 miles long, right? And so there's a finite number of resources that we're all going to compete for. And whether that is, you know, whether that's, you know, beds in a shelter, whether that's portable radios, whether that is, you know, tarps for homes, whatever that is, um, I think, you know, we all think just like fuel, right? I mean, I, I do in my present work, you know, we do a lot of hurricane work. And um, so, you know, the, one of the first things that happens is kind of the fuel supply chain kind of um, gets interrupted during that. And so in order for us to be able to go into an area, you know, we have to have uh, contracts with fuel vendors. But what we've also learned is this, the fuel vendors may not be able to deliver. So there's always, you know, having a plan B, uh, having a second an alternate fuel vendor or having right. a relationship with somebody else to do that. So easy examples. But I mean, I think, you know, even the best laid plans don't necessarily always go off um, as, you know, as, as we think. So and one more thing I'll tell you is just like sheltering. You know, we assume that there and it's not that we assume, but I mean, there are organizations that that they're responsible for sheltering. But if they can't get their volunteers into an area because of a flood or something like that, then you have no shelter plan. Seen that many, many times, you know, in the last dozen years or so here. Mm. Why don't you tell us about what you do on a day-to-day -day basis with the resource center? Oh, well, I, I sit at the, I mean, operations director is kind of the title, but it's really just jack of all trades. I mean, it's everything from, you know, like we're doing now, which is to kind of socialize the mission, to educate uh, both emergency management and the industry as well. So we partner, we keep one leg kind of in the tech sector and we keep one leg in the emergency management space. And we just want to make sure that we're connecting with all of the resources, industry resources that are going to be available to communities after disaster. The other flip side of that is, is we want to drive those relationships with emergency management um, in advance of a disaster, because I'm sure it's cliche, mm -hmm. we just wrong time to exchange business cards, right? In the middle of a disaster. So that's, I spend a lot of time with that. I spend a lot of time on the preparedness piece, keeping our fleet, um, you know, our, uh, equipped, uh, replace, we always have equipment coming in and out. So, um, you know, right now we have about 67 maybe active events. Um, and these go back actually wow. in some cases, several years, uh, to, you know, previous hurricanes and things like that, but we have around 1200, just under 1200 open sites as we call them. So these are places where we may be providing connectivity. We may be providing notebooks for recovery or whatever that is. So, I mean, it is just a constant, you know, it's a constant grind, um, to try to keep up with that. Obviously, you know, we, um, we have leaders, you know, regional and divisional leaders that, um, you know, are able to kind of help with some of that load. Uh, but I think, you know, understanding they're all working day jobs, right? They're all, they've already got their 60 hour right. a week work jobs and families at home and they're going to school or doing their thing. So ultimately, I mean, it, it kind of falls back to me to do that. And of course we have a, we're a volunteer driven organization. So we have about 2,800 volunteers um, around North America. So it is kind of, you know, working on the strategies with them and whether it's training recruitment or whatever that is. So. Hmm. So when you say 67 active events, 1200 open sites, at different events, there may be more than one location where you're supporting with resources? Correct. So just take our most recent um, Hurricane Ida, um, which is southeast Louisiana. Um, we had about 92 or 94 
sites just related to that hurricane. Some of them were super quick, open and close, uh, as in, um, you know, provide charging stations and Wi-Fi in community centers until the power came back or until, you know, cellular came back or whatever that was. So some of those cases are open and shut. Um, but other cases, they're remote and, um, you know, that it takes a long time, longer time. There are still areas, some for 60 days post hurricane, and there's still areas that do not have wireline communications back up. So we're still providing temporary communications there until they can get the regular infrastructure re restored. So what are, what are some of the skill sets that people have that, that you need that um, people who might be willing to volunteer who are watching this? Um, you know, really any, any communication, well, first of all, I mean, we're an organization like anybody else. So, I mean, we have, you know, whether it's marketing, whether it's storytelling, whether it's, you know, finance, um, what, you know, CPA, legal, uh, logistics, but you know, our, our, all the magic happens really with our, um, volunteer workforce, the tech, the tech skills, and many of them work for the most recognizable names in, in the industry. And, you know, so they're able to, you know, get a week or two off or take a week or two off from work uh, to come out, deploy into the field with, uh, with us. And, you know, we take care of them pretty much door to door and get them back. So skill sets, I mean, it can be anything from, you know, radio communications, which we don't, we don't, that's, we're more of an IP focused. So we do a lot of Wi-Fi. We do a lot of Ethernet infrastructure, a lot of satellite communications, cellular uh, mobile broadband, things like that. So, um, but, you know, we have also um, um, technical and functional analysts, you know, people that work for in their day jobs or project managers. And, you know, it's not uncommon mm -hmm. for us to get a request from a state EOC to have somebody who can come in and help them manage a dashboard, how many beds are open, how many people are in these right. shelters and things like that. So uh, really any kind of technical skill set is welcome here um, and the other piece of it is is you know you get to work with you know some rock stars and you get to learn other skills here so this is a good um, networking place as well i was speaking with uh john dames from uh project earlier today and i was amazed uh with some of the things that he mentioned about how technology has become far more portable the reach is much better it's more reliable and can be deployed a lot quicker particularly in disaster situations what's really stuck out to you over the last few years with some developments that have happened that have made life easier for you guys to respond in times of needs and times of need and, and things that are developing now that you're looking forward to using in the future in tech um, you know, there's there's been some great communications advances, whether it's interoperable communications, whether it's the new, you know, low Earth orbit satellites, um, which are, you know, promise faster, um, you know, more reliable connections. Um, but also the artificial intelligence, the machine learning is, is something that um, is promising. And I, I look forward to it. Now, you know, what I can say is, is that there are more tools out there. There's much more, um, there are more tools available than most emergency managers can actually effectively use or consume. Um, and whether that's scraping social media to find where people, pockets of people might have collected after, a, after an event to, you know, estimating debris, uh, how many cubic yards of debris, um, you know, the, the, the algorithms now or the, the uh, imagery right now is good enough to be able to, you know, identify how many refrigerators are laying on the side of the road. And, and, and I realize that's not a, um, it's wow. not something most emergency managers care about. Uh, but when you're trying to understand, you know, how many 
dump trucks do I need? Yes. To, you know, how, how many weeks or months is it going to take for us to pick up all this debris? And obviously flood, flood debris is going to have different characteristics than wind debris. So, you know, if it's trees laying on the, on the ground versus, you know, things that have floated and flooded or through flooding. So mm -hmm. I think there are some neat things there, but most DMs are kind of under-resourced as far as not having enough people to be able to just continuously look at that data and um you know to be able to consume it to make actual decision actual decisions on it but i that's what i that's where my hope is my hope is, is now that we know you know some of the things we're looking for you know we've done some not only street level imagery but some aerial imagery for you know some cities and counties and states to where they could just take that imagery and use it to understand, you know, how many bridges are impacted, how many street mm. signs are impacted, things that they don't necessarily have to go back out and redrive all that. But it's something you can, you know, take that imagery and give it to public works department and let them figure out, you know, how many of my street signs burned up. Um, so I, there are a lot of really great um, uh, technology advancements, I guess, that are, you know, not only here, but in the pipeline that are getting better. Um, and I think they're going to, you know, enable and certainly um, progressive emergency managers. Um, I, I think they're going to be good tools for them. But right now, we just don't necessarily have the cycles to be able to, you know, analyze that stuff to, you know, but historically, you know, that's one of the other things to say is, you know, if you have a road that continuously floods, um, you know, the, it can predict when this, you know, how long this road is going to be blocked, for example, before emergency workers are, are able to traverse that road again. So I think those are some, you know, some neat things where the tools can help. But again, it's just making sure you have enough resources or cycles to be able to, you know, action that, that data. Hmm. So debris estimation, um, imagery to save having to physically go out, save time, mm -hmm. uh, prediction, yeah, like road closures. That's really interesting stuff. Can you tell us about some of the some of the experiences over your period of time there that um, the center has been involved in responding to? The wow, I mean, stories, right? I have a long, long career in this world. Um, you know, from my fire service days, obviously, you know, lots of different um, uh, interesting things challenges i guess that we did from you know large plane crashes to um just you know technical rescue type things but i think you know where i've been challenged the most really is doing what i'm doing now and i know it's probably going to sound a little bit odd but there's two things that i knew when i was a firefighter number one uh, i could pick up that microphone and request almost anything and it would show up didn't i didn't know how the sausage was made i didn't know who they called i don't know how many times they had to call whatever it was but all i know is i could request something and it would show up and I also knew that tomorrow morning at eight o'clock, some guy in a fresh uniform was going to show up and relieve me and I was going to go home for two days. When I got into this side of it, the, the community, the disaster relief side of it, I mean, it's just you. It's just, I mean, it's just you, but I mean, you don't have all those resources. Those resources mm. go home, they go back and they're prepared for the next emergency because those emergencies continue to come. But things move at a totally different pace in, in this um, I, I guess on the emergency management side or on the recovery side, if you will. Um, so, you know, whether it's been challenges of, you know, we, Hurricane Maria, for example, you know, I, I think it hit around, uh, you know, Halloween time, October, um, for us. And then, um, you know, in January, there were still places, you know, there were still 911 centers without communications and, you know, how 
in my mind, it's, you know, we, we could, you know, we freak out with a two, two hour outage, you know, um, and they've been without communications for months. And so uh, it, mm. it constantly, you know, um, I don't, amazes me that, you know, the things we take for granted, you know, we think that most communities, cities, states, counties, whatever that is, have the resources to help themselves. But the reality is, is they don't. And so the things that I've seen have all been things that I worry about, um, you know, how could they go for so long without the resources they need, whether it's computers, whether it's people, whether it's radios, communications, telephones, things like that. So I don't know, that that may not have answered. It wasn't uh, um, the explicit excitement, adrenaline driving type stuff. And I have all those stories, but I think for, you know, who we're talking to right now, um, I, I think I want to set expectations that, you know, there are going to be an overwhelming number of tasks of things that, um, you know, you need to pay attention to, uh, that things that you have not thought about that are going to come up and whether it's, you know, pockets of your population that need things, um, mm. or, or whatnot. I mean, there's going to be a lot of things you never thought about, um, right. in, in this, in this industry. So. Yeah, let me ask the the question in a different way. I think it was the way that I just phrased the question uh, there, Joe. So I'm just looking at the website and there's Hurricane Ida and Afghan resettlement. Um, there's the wildfires, uh, COVID response as well uh, that's happening right now. These different projects or events that you're involved in. Can you share with us some of those events or experiences that you've had in your role with going out and responding? Yeah, um, so obviously I have a natural affinity to the fire side of it. Um, you know, yep. for the last couple of years, uh, last two, three years, you know, the Western part of the United States, and I know you've had your share as well there. Um, but, you know, what we've seen is that, you know, these fires have grown very, very large. Um, mm. they're, community, they're, they're increasingly remote and rural, and there are not necessarily communications resources there. Um, the Fire the incident command folks do the best that they can with what they have uh, as far as communications. There's a lot of oftentimes, you know, slow, latent satellite connections to help them, but that doesn't necessarily allow the um, the mapping folks, the GIS folks, for example. I mean, those are your biggest consumers when it comes to data usage uh, in there. So, for us to be able to go out and do things like you know, connect into fiber at a cell tower and do a 16 mile microwave shot to the edge of a, you know, mountain that we can send down into a valley to make sure that they have, you know, a gigabit of data to work with. Those are some technical challenges that we do, um, you know, to help the, the fire service and, and the forest service and whatnot. Um, you know, the Afghan resettlement, um, you know, they, they just, wholesale brought a whole lot of people to these military bases and they you know their challenges were is the military bases are historically rural they don't have wi-fi there and if they do have you know connectivity it's you know basically secure net for um you know for the military command staff if you will so having to create um wi-fi in the middle of nowhere uh that you can have you know i think we've had forty-eight thousand clients um, on our Wi-Fi networks across four bases uh, in the last wow. two months. So, I mean, these are significant events and we've had to go to industry to ask them, you know, for bigger equipment, can we borrow this equipment, you know, so we can, you know, connect these networks up. Um, 
but there's not really i mean that's the one thing you know we will, in the in the tech space you'll find a lot of folks that are willing to do really cool things from their desktops where they can leverage their volunteers from home but you know ours is, is you know we deal with the physical side of connectivity and so somebody's got to get out there and stand on a ladder and hang an access point right. string cable from place to place or fiber or whatever mm -hmm. that is um so anyway i mean those are a couple of examples of things going on of course you know with hurricanes um you know again i think i mentioned the phases you know immediately after um you know power is going to be down for a period of time communications are going to be down the people all you know th this is probably this is a piece of advice i really like to give to the, the up-and-coming emergency managers and that you know if you can do things to uh to reassure the public uh and, and to you you will bring down the temperature of a community because you think about this everybody every one of those people in southeast louisiana has somebody somewhere else in the world that's worrying about them and they're feverishly mm -hmm. trying to get in touch with them to find out right. are you okay in the <clears throat> same breath the people that there that you know the thousands i mean actually tens of thousands of people who lost their roofs who were mm -hmm. no longer able to stay at home you know they're in some cases sleeping out of their car or, or right. you know the, whatever that is they want to be able to let their family know hey i'm okay this is where i am this is how you get in touch with me or whatever that is so communications are so important after a disaster um and i realize it's really super simple for emergency management to i mean we all have redundancies right i mean we have our own two-way radios we got backup repeaters we got mobile command centers with satellite dishes whatever that's to take care of the emergency so we've got to think about taking care of the people um, mm. and and rebuilding a cellular or a wireline infrastructure is a month-long project it's not they don't just you know they just don't bring a um a deployable in and then all of a sudden everybody's connected again so it's you know it's making sure that you know you're looking out for the folks on that and i hope that answered your question yeah, that's really good. And I was going to ask you about um, what aspiring emergency managers who might look to be involved in your area should build into their build into their toolkit uh, in terms of knowledge and experiences. What else have you got besides that ability to re think about reassuring the public? Um, you know, I think there's a there's a couple of things. I I um, I would say that you know seek out somebody um, you know one of the old guys uh, who's been in this you know for for historically. You know, emergency management has always been the you know retired fire guy. You know, who's on this last few years and you know has always done it you know his way or whatever that is, but didn't necessarily have you know a degree in emergency management. So they mm -hmm. you know they they had the um, the school of hard knocks, I guess, as they say. They have that type of experience, but they don't necessarily have the supporting. They don't have as much the theory behind it. They don't have what you're teaching them today, and more about how to you know, leverage more of these, you know, government resources, private sector resources and whatnot. I mean, it really is about continuing. Um, relationships is probably key is number one. That's the best thing I think I could tell you is you're going to have your book work. Um, I, I, I say this and I'm probably going to get called out on it, but, you know, dare I say 90% of emergency managers in America have never really run a disaster. Um, and I was one of them. So just because we hold the title and just because we have the certificates on the wall doesn't mean that we spent six months, you know, rebuilding our community or two years rebuilding our community after a disaster. Um, you know, there's mm -hmm. historically a mass exodus, it seems like, after these significant events. 
and we like we lose a lot of legacy knowledge so i will say that you know relationships are your um are your key and whether it's that just you know knowing that manager at the retail store or knowing that vp at the big your biggest employer in town who may have programs or resources they can bring to to bear for you those are key and then and i would also say again you know seek out mentors who've done this for a, a number of years um you know you can teach them the theory side but let them teach you the school of hard knocks uh, when it comes down to this is the way we did it back in the day type thing that's great so those mentors from the school of hard knocks yeah. uh, in those relationships uh, maybe with the people you know who run large organizations and might have resources mm-hmm. and think about reassuring the public the the public side the heart side of the response yeah i i think the i think those are to me those are important those are things i wish people would have you know conveyed to me early on um mm. so but i mean we eventually get there you know we eventually get we eventually find out the people who can do it and, and you'll see that people will step up and offer things to you and that's mm. one of the things that itdrc is able to do is we try to help these communities capture those offers of of assistance so you know you will find that and i'm sure you've read the anecdotal stuff where you know you may have a, a, a catastrophic event somewhere and people are offering you truckloads of blankets in august um and that's not what we need we don't need truckloads right. of blankets. we don't need coats we don't need things like that but in the same breath you know chances are really good come october november you're still not going to be whole again and you want to capture that offer because your your community is going to need those resources so Mm. you know i think it's a matter of you know make sure that you don't tell anybody no um until you've had a good year to work in recovery and then you can tell them no um if if that's the way it works out so right Look, um, Joe, I do want to thank you for spending your time and sharing your experiences with us. This has been really great for me. I've learned a lot. And I do want to thank you for the work that you're doing and the volunteers who work with you and the way that you respond to people's needs in disaster situations and emergencies. It's really of need. And just just to give you some context on why I think what you're doing is really important. I lived in Indonesia for seven years and every year, um, like clockwork, there were floods, there were earthquakes, there were all sorts of situations that the local environment, the organizations involved were not prepared for, even though by clockwork, and I've been there seven years, we knew that this was coming. And so as citizens or people living near residents, we could think and be prepared and build up some stores. But, you know, when when the cell towers go down and my family back in New Zealand was wondering, is Craig okay? No one turned up to set up a mobile uh, Wi-Fi so I could check in. And so I had to wait until I could go somewhere that was actually accessible through the flood to get a connection, to check in maybe on Facebook or Twitter and right. check in with one of those I'm okay chickens so that my family knew that I was all right and that wasn't available in that particular country or particularly where I lived and so what you do really does matter what you do is really important and I love that you mentioned number one reassuring the public and those connection with family and friends it's wonderful so thank you for what you're doing absolutely it's my pleasure thanks for having me and I appreciate you sharing our story how can people reach out to you if they want to connect volunteer um itdrc.org um i think most everything is on there down at the bottom they have an opportunity to volunteer from there there's obviously the giving page um and they're welcome if there are other you know uh, questions about that i mean hit us we have a 
an email on there, partner at itdrc.org. So if there's ways we can help you um, or, or vice versa, I mean, obviously, we'd love to have that conversation. So itdrc.org. Wonderful. So if you're everyone who's watching the recording and our students, if you'd like to volunteer underneath this video on Facebook, LinkedIn and YouTube, there is the link to Joe on LinkedIn and I'll be adding the links as well to the center to make sure that it's available for everybody. And if you're an emergency manager, um, just like we talked about, you're always training, you're always learning new things, but maybe you don't have that academic degree that recognizes all the training that you've done, or maybe you've done your degree, but you just haven't had time to do a master's. So with uard.org or uard.ac.nz, what we offer is a way to recognize all of that experience and the training that you've done give you academic credit so you can get a bachelor degree or a master's degree much faster anywhere anytime from anywhere in the world so reach out to us if you'd like to grab a qualification and to do it uh, in a way which is on your terms so thanks for being thanks. with us and thanks joe as well i really appreciate you and the work that you do my pleasure thank you sir